What's up, everyone? This is Rafael Garcia here with Sean Hughes, episode 230 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. We have a lot to talk about today. But before we do, why don't you let them know how you're doing there, Sean? Well, you know me. Not too bad. Supposed to get a freeze or something down here, so we'll find out tomorrow morning. They already canceled the kids' school, though, so. Just as nobody wants to go. How are they already proactive, proactively canceling school when it's not even uh, snowing? Yeah, that's the weird thing. They canceled us. I had to pick my kid up around three or three o'clock. They sent a text out saying they're canceling it. So it's like I said, it's supposed to freeze or snow. I don't know if it will or not, but as of tomorrow, there there won't be any school for anybody. Well, hey, that's how they do nowadays. They, they it, it it almost snowed up here and, and they canceled snow as well too, or canceled school. So you know how that goes. I don't have any kids though, so I really don't give a fuck to begin with. Yeah, don't affect, don't impact you either way, man. But what does impact me is talking about this news across combat sports. So before we do that, though, we're going to be talking about Bellator 273, um, a brief preview of UFC Vegas 47, and some other boxing news as well, too. You can always find our content across all of our all of our um, platforms, including MMARatings.net and .com. That's our flagship there, so please be sure to look us up on those two spots. You can hit us up on our uh, Instagram and Twitter at MMARatingsNet in both spaces. Our podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Spotify, and YouTube at MMARatings in all of those spaces. Myself, you can check me out at rgarcia underscore sports. Sharon Humes, you can hit him up at Black Jordan Great. So we're going to jump into this with a little bit of, I guess, news, but fantasy booking as well too because i'm not sure if you saw but uh jake paul boxing aficionado um world-class boxer best of all time if you ask some people he has said that he intends on targeting canelo alvarez for a future fight so this will never happen it's never ever going to happen in any way shape or form but shuan i got two questions for you if Jake Paul was to sign a fight with Canelo Alvarez, multiple time, multiple division champion, would that fight sell more than his fight with Floyd Mayweather, Saul's fight with Floyd, Floyd Mayweather, and why? Uh, it might, because a lot of people, same people who don't like Floyd Mayweather don't like Jake Paul in a lot of ways. But the difference is, at least they had to respect Floyd's boxing skill. They don't respect Jake Paul's boxing skill or his training or anything. So I think there'd be an inordinate, inordinate amount of people tuning in just to see him get beat up. Like everybody would just tune into that, even though everybody knows what's going to happen. To actually see it happen, have the loud mouth who's knocking out combat sports champions um, with one punch, one punch shots, um, get have his comeuppance. Uh, it probably it probably I'll sell it by far. You know, I, I think I think. I think it just would in this climate, the way Jake markets things and the kind of ire he's built up among other fans and then his own fan base. Yeah, I think it outsells that. So then, okay, I, th- I could definitely see outselling that because I look at young individuals like my nephew. My nephew's about 23, 24, I believe, 25 at the oldest. I could see him paying his money to see Paul fight um, Alvarez. He's done so to see all of his other fights. He has not ever paid for any other type of combat sports, but he's definitely spent his money to see the last two Jake Paul fights against Tyron Woolley. So I could definitely see him coming out of his pocket to to, uh, watch this fight there. Now, on the other side of that coin, how bad does Alvarez beat Jake Paul's ass? I mean, it goes as long or as short as he wants it to go. He can make it a little entertaining, carry him for a couple rounds, or you just put him out in the first either way. I mean, there's just a lot of – I mean, Jake Paul, for a person who doesn't box professionally or for, like, in a high-level amateur – for a regular person or, you know, maybe a recreational boxer, Jake Paul is actually a very good boxer. He's got some athleticism. Um, he's got a lot of size. And regardless of what people say, beating up – Ben Askren doesn't mean anything. The average athlete, if they had to box Ben Askren, would probably lose to him. A lot of NBA players would lose to Ben Askren, even uh, rusty, out-of-shape Ben Askren, because they're not used to getting hit in the face. And Tyron Woodley would beat up a lot of regular people and a lot of pro athletes if they boxed, because they're not used to being hit in the face. Um, People just underestimate 
how difficult, how complex boxing is. They uh, think because you're only using your hands, it must be easier. And I'm like, you've got to do all your damage and all your defense with just your hands. That's really hard. I'm not saying it's not, it's less skills, less variety of skills than MMA because you can kick, you can punch, you got to defend kicks, punches, knees, elbows, submissions, and all that. But you have to have such a high level of skill with your hands because there's really nowhere else to go. You have this, these are the only two weapons you have, and either you're good enough with them or you aren't. Um, so a lot of people just don't understand how 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 high level boxing is, and and because of that, that's why a lot of people think that Jay could beat Canelo or Jay could beat certain people, or if he fought Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. would be easy for him, or fighting Anderson Silva. They they don't under they don't respect boxing. They respect the action. They respect the knockouts. They don't actually respect the art of boxing. And to be honest, most mixed martial artists most, most mixed martial artists don't respect boxing like that either. If they did, they wouldn't they wouldn't be trying to get into this lane outside of the money. So, um, you know, it, it, it just wouldn't even be competitive. I, I don't know what Canelo would have to do to make it competitive, but it, it, it'd just be as easy as hard, easy or hard as he wants to make it. But I, I guarantee you millions and millions of people would tune in to see Jake Paul get his comeuppance. Uh, Schwan, do me a favor. Turn your mic off and turn it back on because you're having like a lot of static in there. And I want to make sure um, we can hear you. Clearly, but yeah, I I agree. I think that um, Canelo Alvarez would absolutely catch a body um, in the ring in front of the millions of people who would watch. I I would probably watch it. Not even going to front just for the the shenanigans that would go down when Jake Paul is soundly um, thrashed. But again, they would be they would pose to make a shit ton of money. And I'm always down for prize fighters getting the biggest prizes available to them. Um, I want to talk about some real boxing news, for lack of a better term there. Um, Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano. This fight is now official. Uh, it is going on going down on Saturday, April 30th, with Taylor versus Serrano as the main event. So let's talk about that briefly. Uh, we'll be doing a more of a preview as this fight gets closer. But uh, first, from a style standpoint, what are your thoughts about this fight? Who's your early... Uh, preview and I have one other thought as well too. Uh, I'm probably going to say that I, I probably would favor Serrano just because um, Taylor's been in some really tough fights in the past two or three years. I feel like she's lost a step and it's not that Serrano hasn't been in tough fights or hasn't been in tough. I just don't think she's taken as much punishment or gone as many had the, the tough punishing kind of rounds that Taylor's had and I really think Taylor probably like if this fight happened a year and a half ago, two years ago, I might have a different look on it. But right now, I'm, think, I'm thinking Serrano's really in her prime. I think Serrano's been on a roll. Serrano's been as close to untouchable as you can be. And um, Taylor has looked good, but she hasn't looked nearly as dominant. And part of that is facing tough opposition. I believe part of that is her having some physical decline and not being nearly as fast or as uh, dynamic as it used to be. The skills are still there, but... It takes a period of time to adjust when you still have the skills at a high level, but your athleticism or your durability has maybe taken a taken a, a slight decline. So I, I'm going to say Serrano. She's been more active. She's been more active in combat sports altogether. She's been more active as a fighter, and you know she already has a good idea of what Katie Taylor brings to the to the table because um, her sister's already fought her, and her sister is quite a good fighter too. So she has a she has somebody who's been in there with a firsthand account of how fast Taylor is, how hard Taylor hits, how slick she is, how good a counter person she, and she, I think if I'm not correct, her coach coaches her sister, I think that's her sister's husband. And if I'm not correct, she was in there too. So she was in the corner too. So she got a front row seat of seeing what Kate, what Katie Taylor can do, what she can't do. If there's any slippage, she got a first round seat. And if she did anything she missed, her coach is right there, and anything he missed, she can talk to her sister who actually fought her. So I think she has a much better idea of what Katie Taylor can do than what Katie Taylor has a better idea of what she can do. So how do you see this fight going? Do you think it goes to a um, decision, or do you see some type of stoppage occurring? I would think if there's a stoppage, it'd be a Taylor. I think I think Taylor's a bigger hit, if I remember. I think Taylor's a little bit bigger, too, if I recall correctly. Um I think Taylor just has a little bit too much pride to get stopped. I think even if she's getting beaten pillar to post, not saying she will, 
lean as she is, I don't think her corner will stop it, and I don't think she will either. Um, I think it'll be a deci- I think it'll be a decision. It'll still be a tight one because I think Taylor will try to be physical with her. I think Taylor will try to bully her a little bit, walk her down a little bit. And Taylor's a good enough boxer that she can take away escapes and uh, escapes and um, limit some of the counter shots and some of the table setting that Serrano likes to do. It's it's rare that Serrano's faced someone who's on par with her as far as boxing. She's faced girls who are tough, girls who hit hard girls who are experienced and seasoned or skilled, but she has to face someone of a comparable skill set to hers. So I think certain things she likes to do won't be as easy to do, but I still think she's the fresher fighter. I think she's the more mobile fighter. I think in this day, she's probably the more quick, the quicker fighter. I'm not sure if she's the harder hitter. I'm not sure if she's the more physical fighter. But once again, when you take that route, they kind of, there's a certain kind of punishment, a certain price you have to pay for taking that approach. And I'm, I feel like Taylor's at a precipice where she can't take over a fight anymore completely, and she can't just bull someone over completely. Technically, she can hold her own with Serrano, but I, I feel like Serrano's mobility and her, her, her mobility and her athleticism is going to be a separator of a fight. So I, I figure it'll be a decision. I think it'll be close early, and if Serrano's going to pull away, it'll probably be later in the fight. But um, – it should be a fairly close fight, but I think Serrano will probably pull pull away later in the court, last quarter of the fight. Yeah, man, fix your mic again for me too, because it's popping up. I don't know if it's from you sitting closer to the microphone or something, but it was sound, it was fine until you came back on, then it was popping again. Um, the last question in reference to this Katie Taylor Amanda Serrano fight here is, what do you think about the importance of this being a main event? Like the entire car is being built around this. Um, we still have some time, so I believe it will be properly promoted as a major fight, um, just in boxing in general throughout the year. So how important is this fight with, with it being a headliner, with it being the featured fight? How big of a moment is this for women's combat sports? You are mute still. I think... I think it's really up to the fans to make this fight a success. A lot of people always complain. The same complaints we have about women's mixed martial arts or complain about certain fighters not getting a push from the UFC. If you want fighters to get a push and you want them to get that kind of respect, then you as the fans have got to come out of pocket to make this a successful event. If this event isn't successful and you've got two of the best, not just for women, but overall, if you put everything equally, these are two of the best boxers in the world. You don't see matchups like this in men's boxing very often, two people of almost equal accomplishment who have pretty much dominated the sport close to their peak or at their peak, where they're still just beating people left and right and, and, and having their way. And they've been successful amateurs and pros for an extended period of time. This is like if we got Manny versus Floyd two or three years before we got it, when they were really hot, or if we got Spence and Crawford last year. That that's essentially what we this is that's essentially the closest I can think of what we what we have in this situation. Um, so the people who say that women need to get more rounds or more money or more opportunities, if they don't support this event, and I don't mean pirated, if you don't put your hard money down to it and it does not sell well, you can't ever make that argument again. It's the same thing people with WNBA. Well, we need they should make more money. They should have more opportunities. Fill up the stadiums, get the ratings up. They'll get as much money as they want. And and you can talk about how it's advertised and whatever, but the fact of the matter is it is what it is. It's at where it's at. It's your job to make sure it has enough of a pull, makes enough of an impression for you to continue to support it. The biggest thing about this is it's a very it's an excellent main event. This is probably one of the best fights, period, you can make in the past 10 years, in my opinion. And secondly, they're stacking the card. It's all well-known female fighters people who've won multiple championships, who defended championships. So this is going to be a truly loaded card. So if this does not work, there is a very good chance we might not see anything like this replicated again on the women's side because they're pulling out all the stops. So if you're a fan of women's boxing or women's combat sports and you think they need to get paid, you're going to have a perfectly set up opportunity of high quality fights with known quality quantity fighters and you need to back that up with your pocket. If you don't back it up, you don't buy, and everybody doesn't buy, doesn't support it, I never want to hear that argument again because you're going to be the ones who determine how much further women's boxing goes as far as main events, as far as million-dollar paydays, as far as crossover success. The fans determine that. So if the fans care that much, 
they're going to have to speak with their wallets, not just the women, equal rights. They should get paid the same. This is your chance to make sure that happens. If that thing sells 500,000 pay-per-views, a bunch of women boxers will start getting paid much better. They've, they've got to do it. It's in their hands now. We'll find out if they care if they don't. So you think that that's the baseline, like a 500K, 350 won't cut it? Well, 350 would be great, but if you really want to make the impression, if you really want to make the impression, like if they outsell Geronta Davis, they they're gonna they should outsell Keith Thurman versus Mario Barrios. But if they can really make an impression, like 500K is that's it. That's not Canelo. That's not Floyd. But that's really good. Nobody would guess 500K. If they make 500K, then all the talk about women don't sell and women aren't interesting. You can't ever make that argument again. There's men's cards that have been stacked. Uh, Canelo's card was pretty competitive. He had 800. So you only sold 500,000, 300,000 less than the biggest star in boxing? That, that means something. I mean, to me, honestly, if they get two, 225, 250, if they get to 300, that should probably be considered a success. But if they could get a big number, like a legitimately big number, that changes the stakes because people will say there's some people interested, but you get half a million buys. Well, now we all got to start looking into how we motivate, how we move our female boxers, how we advertise them, because clearly there's a market. Clearly somebody's willing to pay for this. It's just our job now to find it. You get a big rating. You get a big return. Now they realize there is money there. We need to go find how to maximize it and continue it. But if they just go like 50000 or 100000 with that kind of car, with that many world champions on it, and the worst part is they got, they got, to, compare, they got to compete against another major boxing title fight most likely. So that, that's another thing that's going against them. But for me to see a noticeable change consistently, I, they're probably going to have to get a big number. I honestly think they're going to have to get a big number. 100,000 isn't going to cut it. Okay, I can appreciate that analysis there. Um, let's flip over to uh, MMA now because I, I, man, did you know Bellator was having an event on, what was that, Tuesday out of nowhere? I had no idea. You're on mute. Swan, you're on mute. You mean the the one, the most recent one? Yeah, like, so they had a card, uh, Bellator 273. I believe it was Tuesday. Um, it was either Monday or Tuesday. It was during, like, the work day where Ryan Bader successfully defended his heavyweight title. He won via unanimous decision. And Benson Henderson fought. Um, Henry, Henry Corrales, all three of them won as well. But I had no idea this card was going on. And so I started to see some of the results coming in. Uh, I I knew Bader was defending his title. I think I read something by accident or somebody texted me about it. Um, and I, I didn't I didn't know about Vince Henderson because nobody mentioned that it possibly his last fighter he was fighting. But I didn't know Bader was going to defend it. But I found out that day. I found out literally uh, probably three hours before the event. Yeah, it was interesting seeing some um, some of the results come in. So I'm not really we're not really going to dive too much into the full card itself because, you know, it is kind of what it is. But um, what I do want to talk about is Ryan Bader and Benson Henderson specifically because they've had such expansive MMA careers. I mean, if you're a UFC fan, you should still know who Ryan Bader and Ben Hendo is. So start with Ryan, ba- uh, Ryan Bader first. He's 38 years old, and he's been on a pretty decent win streak, performance streak, uh, since going over to Bellator, winning both the light heavyweight and heavyweight titles. He just dropped the light heavyweight title not too long ago, lost in the light heavyweight tournament as well, too. But as a heavyweight, you see he's still picking up wins here. He won via um, unanimous decision 48-47, beating the interim champion, Valentin Moldovsky. As a heavyweight, where... Do you see Ryan Bader in the top 10 rankings right now? Um, I, I really don't see him as a threat anymore. Two, when did they have the Grand Prix? Like two years ago, maybe? Um, yeah, yeah. the heavyweight Grand Prix was before COVID. Like maybe maybe two years ago, three years ago, I'd I, I consider him a factor in the heavyweight division. The, the issue with Ryan Bader is this. A lot of people saw him in Bellator. And they're like, look, he's one of the best light heavyweights, one of the best heavyweights. He's made all these improvements. He didn't really make a whole lot of the Can you UFC. reset your mic again for me? Huh? Reset your mic again for me. And start again then for me because you were it was starting to get worse. Um, there you go. Basically, he hasn't improved the way people said he has. The thing is, 
Bellator is a lower level of competition, a lower level of athletes. We've talked about this many times since I've come on the show. They don't have a lot of depth. So coming over from the UFC, he was a better athlete than most of these guys. He had faced better athletes. He had faced a, a better caliber of fighter. So going to Bellator was a slight step down to, for him, except for maybe two or three fighters in each division. And he was able to basically out-athlete them. Everything he did positively had a maximum effect because the guys were either worse athletes than him, mostly because of age and abuse, or two, they just were so limited as fighters. If you look at who he beat on that run to the heavyweight title, it's not – when you look at how far, long those guys have been fighting or how – limited some of those guys were that it's not as impressive as, as you would think it out as you would as you would think it would be given the position those guys are in how long they've been fought how many how many wars they've been in it, it's not nearly as impressive as it seems so the biggest issue with ryan bader now is he's 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 getting older he's not as dynamic as he used to be um he's lost half a step he's never been particularly durable i think he's even less so now and um but he has the physical tools and advantages he can still use his experience to kind of eke out wins which is what he did on this card he is it was a matter of experience poison experience that's what got him through the fight his technique wasn't great his power wasn't fight changing like it used to be and his speed which used to be one of his biggest factors was not nearly as impressive as it used to be two three four five years ago he just got by on experience and physical strength and obviously the wrestling and and stuff of that nature, but it's really just a matter of him being a better class of fighter. At the UFC level, I don't know that he beats Nganu, even with bad knees. I don't know that he beats Gon. I'm not sure he beats Derek Lewis. I don't think he beats John Jones. I have a hard time finding heavyweights he could beat because he won't have that huge athletic advantage. As dominant as his wrestling has been, it's not particularly, it's not the most technical wrestling attack. A lot of it is attribute based. And since he doesn't have those attributes to lean on, I think there's more than a few heavyweights who, who could stop him and do so pretty impressively. So um, while it's impressive what he's done, I really think he's starting to hit that, that cap. And you can't go back in time to refresh yourself, make yourself more explosive. He is who he is right now. And I just don't, I don't, I don't, I can't name five quality heavyweights that I think he beats. And if he beats them in, in, in Bellator, it's only because these heavyweights are frankly, old and very limited at least in the ufc they got a lot of young guys coming up young big athletic guys and in, in bellator we have a lot of you know even the young guys are like 32 33 so i don't i don't think you can consider him one of the best heavyweights in the world i don't really know that you could have ever considered him one of the best light heavyweights outside of the fact that light heavyweight division is so thin um he just happened to go someplace where he he had all the physical tools and he was used to facing a better class of opponent and he wrote that experience and he wrote his physical tools to being a double champ. But I don't know that he got any better or that he'd fare any better in the UFC right now. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think that he'd be somebody to watch, especially at, you know, he's 38. Well, I mean, you could say especially at 38, but remember, like, the heavy, the heavier weight classes tend to age at a slower rate. I would be interested in seeing how he looks in the UFC against the current stock of fighters there. But um, I would tend to agree that he would struggle against some of that that top weight class, like, like the Gons. I mean, even Derek Lewis, as you mentioned, I think he would have a hard time there. Let's um, talk about Benson Henderson next, the former UFC lightweight champion. He picked up a win over Islam Mamadev, Mamadov. Yeah, um, a split decision victory there, 29-28. Um, what is Benson Henderson's legacy? I feel like a lot of people forget about him whenever we talk about 155 and who's the greatest fighter at 155 pounds. A lot of people forget about him. UFC has done an effective job kind of wiping him off the memory of, of MMA fighters. So what do you think about his legacy? When, when it's all said and done, where, what do we think about Bendo? His problem is... Isn't it, it's not even the UFC that wiped him out. It's kind of his own performances. Um, Benson Henderson has always been a kind of a decision machine. He's never been the greatest finisher. And a lot of fans don't think he won the fights that he won. A lot of people didn't think he beat Frankie Edgar, even in Bellator. Some people didn't think he beat one of the Pitbull brothers. There's people who didn't think he won this fight. He's just been a guy who's always been able to figure out a way to, I don't want to say game the system, 
but he fought in a manner and he fought with a sort of a vibe or a smoothness that allowed him to seem like he was always in control. That's why they say Ben Smooth Henderson, he gets taken down, he never seemed flustered. Guys landed hard shots on him. You didn't see him kind of jerking and being jumpy. He'd always be boom, boom, boom. He might cover up, but he looked like he just looked like he was going through a walk through the park. He never looked like he was out of control of fights. Whether a slow-paced fight, a grinding fight, a punishing fight, or a high-paced fight, for the most part, he always looked like he was just he was he was in control or he was always in the fight. And it it put a, lot, a bad taste for a lot of fans for him because they they don't consider him a legitimate great 55 guy because he was never really just walking through people. I mean, he had some impressive wins, but a lot of his wins were decisions. And if you really look at the fights, a lot of those wins could have went either way from, and that's facing a variety of opponents. So I think part of what's held him back is the fact that he's, um, he's never been nearly as dominant or explosive as guys would expect someone with his physical tools and his sort of charisma to be. Had he gotten more stoppages, I think he'd be a bigger star. He always gave you good fights, but there were fights where you always felt like the other person wasn't getting their just due. And I think that hindered his popularity and hindered his presence as 55. And then when he got to Bellator, he moved up. He was dominating the UFC, obviously fighting lower-level guys. When he came to Bellator, he just struggled immediately. He could never really find his footing and put two, three, four, five wins together. They used his name to build other fighters, and he never really got traction in Bellator and was a legitimate contender for any real period of time. So it kind of took some of the shine off him, and it kind of had people thinking, okay, he was never that good because he's eking out these bad decision wins over top guys. Now he comes over here, and he's just losing to these second-tier Bellator fighters, which is the impression a lot of people have, and it kind of made his his reputation take a hit. But I still think he's one of the probably one of the better 55 guys. He did win the title. He defended it. Um, he's always had a good skill set, and he's faced pretty much a murderer's row of opponents. But he never had the dominance that would make people say, hey, this is the guy or this was the best guy. He always, it was always close fights. It could have gone either way. It was a moment here or there. When you see champions, you want to see complete dominance or you want to see them blowing guys out. And Vincent Henderson never gave you that. What was his best win? Because he has a lot of strong ones. His win over Josh Thompson, although that was um, controversial his wins over Frankie Edgar. Um, he, I think he did beat RDA as well, too. Um, what What do you – no, he lost to RDA. I remember that one. Um, what do you think his best win is? Nate Diaz, Michael Chandler. I'm, did, he, what, he, did he lose to Michael Chandler? Or that, that split to um, Pitbull as well. What do you think his best win is now that when it's all said and done? You're on mute. I never use this button, so I always forget. Um, his best win, as far as like where he looked like a, a world beater, probably when he fought Nate Diaz. If I recall correctly, he just he just dominated him. He had his way with with him, and it wasn't it wasn't remotely close. He just dominated Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz. And that was when Nate kind of had the machine behind him, had picked up a lot of popularity. It was one of the first times we actually saw it, where people thought Nate was unbeatable or Nate could be a champion. And we saw a clear gap. That's like when you started seeing that. You started seeing the true limitations of Nate Diaz's game. Because previously that, he'd been on quite a win streak. So that would have been the fight he had the most success in, where he really just dominated and there wasn't any question and there wasn't any doubt as to who was the better guy and and who was in control of that fight. Um, As far as wins, I'd probably say the, uh, I guess, the importance the fight against Clay Guida on UFC on Fox, that was probably the most important fight because it was a primetime fight and it got a lot of rave reviews and all that nature. But as far as importance, probably the Frankie Edgar, the first win, probably the Frankie Edgar win. Um, it wasn't the greatest win. It was still kind of a close fight, but it got him a title and it was over a guy who people were tabbing as a future Hall of Famer, who still is a Hall of Famer. And getting wins over Hall of Famers is not something that anybody can just do. So yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think that, that fight with Frankie Edgar was big, the first one, um, because I, I feel like at the time he was still coming off of the WEC run and he was kind of washing that WEC off of him. Um, and because at the time people still looked at WEC as like a lesser version 
of the UFC, even though they were owned by the same organization. But um, that was that that was probably was a uh, the right pick when saying what was his biggest win, and then the Clay Guida fight as well too. Cause I remember all the hype around them moving to Fox and all the promotion that that fight, that whole entire card did receive, and that um, some people thought that that should have been the main event instead of having uh, um, Cain, Vela- Cain Velasquez and um, Junior Dos Santos on the card as well too. So that, yeah. that was that, that was the thing that hurt him though. Like Clay Guida, Clay, we all love Clay Guida. He's a veteran. He's given us some great fights. But if you're considered a top 55 guy, you don't have, like, those kind of fights with Clay Guida. You're not supposed to. I can't imagine a prime BJ Penn struggling with Clay Guida. Prime BJ Penn gets Clay Guida out there in the first round. You know, even Conor McGregor, prime Conor McGregor gets him out of there. Eddie Alvarez, Rafael Desanos, Khabib, which guy at 55 in their prime, at their best, goes back and forth with Clay Guida. And the, the... the worst part about Ben Henderson, I like the guy. I thought he was a good fighter. I liked how he carried himself. I like how he expressed himself. I kind of liked his vibe. I, I was a fan of his. But I feel bad for him because his biggest highlight is him getting kicked in the face by Anthony Pettis jumping off a fence. Like, that's the biggest. If you want to look the highlight that has Ben Henderson in it the most, it's Anthony Pettis showtime kicking him off the cage. That's, that's just got to be rough, man. Like, psychologically, that's got to be rough because that's, the biggest thing in Anthony Pettis' career is a positive, but the biggest thing in your career that stands out the most, even more so than his title, is that kick to the face. Like, people remember he's a champion, but if you ask casuals, that dude got kicked by Anthony Pettis. <laughs> Man, I still remember exactly where I was when I saw the uh, Showtime kick. And I remember, this, the thing I remember most about that is the way people were so pissed that that night, the Sports Center Top 10 was a J.R. Smith fast break dunk and Anthony Pettis kick was like number two. People were really pissed about that. And I'll never forget that one specific moment of that that um, highlight because this is still around the time when I had just left ESPN and people were still like fired up about that. I'll never forget that. Um, yeah, when people say that only that argument that, that that could only be done in a movie, it's like, like <laughs> you can do it. You're just not good enough to. You can jump off the wall and kick someone in the face too. You just have to be good enough. Von Dom walked so Anthony Pettis could run. Uh, yeah, definitely true. Um, tonight might not be a long night, man, because there, it's been a quiet night in or quiet week in combat sports. Um, we didn't have any fights last weekend, but we do have fights this weekend where we have UFC. Um, wait, 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 Rafael, Rafael. Before we before we get into this, it is Black History Month, so you know what that means. We're gonna have more of Michael Chandler's parenting as a strong black father. And I, as a black father myself, I'm glad he is representing us and showing that we too were there and active in our children's lives. I'm just waiting for the special. I forgot about that. Um, he'll give a speech or something. There'll be something out there. Um, you know, not like Ron Woodley. Already since that 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 uh, promo. Already, it's been a whole year. I almost forgot about that. Um, something we should do though, in a joking stance, stance is kind of look at uh, prominent black. Uh, combat sports athletes over time, like each week. Like that's something you just gave me that I- I- idea. So um, I want to throw one in at, at the end of this show, and we'll talk about some um, prominent black uh, athletes that have, that have stepped into the cage or into the boxing ring. So you can bring one next week, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll do one um, this week. Okay. But um, let's start with UFC Fight Night uh, 2200, UFC Vegas 47, whatever the hell is being called. Um, we have a, what is this, a 13 fight card? I think so. Yeah, 14. 13, 13 fight card. Another, another contractual obligation card. Dude, this card is not good. Um, you have the main okay. event. But wait, wait, wait. Before you go on this, I, I have to say this. You used to fight to... I know you respect them. I've never fought. I've trained sparring fighters, so I understand there's a price to pay. I work with fighters. When we say these cards aren't good, this is not an indictment on you as an individual. We know you pay a price. We know you're underpaid. We know you're good at your job. But if you weren't fighting on this card, you or you weren't on this card, and this card was going on without you and it's the same card, you would not be excited for this card either. And I wish fighters would just be more honest about that. Some people are going to watch this because they just want to watch combat sports. But this isn't a good card. 
this isn't an exciting card. It's got a good main event, and everything else is, you know, some of these cards that are on the main card should really be on preliminaries on a good card. That doesn't mean they're not good fighters. That won't be they won't. That doesn't mean they won't be important. But let's let's just let's just be honest about it. Let's just be honest. I'm tired of fighters lying. I take fighters more seriously if they would just be honest and be like, you know, I know this isn't a really great card, but I'm going to put on a show for you instead of being like, oh, this is great. They only say that if the card's good after the fact. Nobody has the guts to say it before the card happens. They want to wait. Oh, a bunch of great fights. Look, y'all, I showed y'all Dana White's good for that. I showed y'all. Look, it's a great card. You weren't saying that 24 hours ago, Dana, because you know this card was trash too. Yeah, this isn't, and it's not that it's not, it's even... When you say it's not a good card, you mean that there isn't a fight that has a much immediate value on the card. There isn't there isn't a fight that jumps out like, okay, these two people may be unranked, but they're like it's something that we're watching two prospects go on. Like there's a bunch of people here who are making their UFC debut or coming off of the contender series. I mean, hell, Sam Alvey is on this card and he's lost six of his last seven. And the other one was a draw. So I'm like, if he's on a card, that automatically drops it down at least 25, 30 quality points there as well. I mean, you have um, Jack Hermanson, Sean Strickland fighting in the main event, fighting at 185 pounds. Yeah, they're fighting at middleweight. Um, and this this fight has some potential future um, implications for the, the middleweight uh, title. I have some issues with Sean Strickland and the way and and his outside of cage antics. Um, I see a lot of people talking about him as if it's a, a, a gimmick like Chell Sonnen or Conor McGregor. And those are problematic at times, too. But the Sean Strickland one is is teetering on dangerous to me in, in some ways. Some of the stuff he says, I didn't know. I believe. He, well, I'm not going to say that because I, I can't confirm. But um, some of the things he says, some of the some of the behaviors like the situation with. Um, Orlando Sanchez, where they almost got to a fight in his gym, it just doesn't rub me the wrong, the right way. If you listen to some of the things he was saying during his uh, presser earlier today, it's just like we're laughing at this guy almost in a way that is encouraging to him, and I hope it doesn't get worse uh, as we continue to do so. So that's just something that really kind of stands out to me about Sean Strickland. Um, this is a good fight, though between him and Hermanson. I think it has some um, upper bound uh, value to the 185-pound division. Um, Sean, I don't I don't dislike Strickland. Um, I think he said some problematic things, but the thing about it, like you said, I don't think he's like Colby. I don't think he's like Chael. And Chael wasn't as problematic as Colby or some of these other guys, to be honest. Chael was just tongue-in-cheek the whole time. Nobody really bought into his, his stick. It was just very entertaining. That's how I know it's good. Nobody really bought into Chael being a gangster, but he did it so well that you just had to, you just had to laugh at it. It's like an actor almost. I know Leonardo DiCaprio is not racist, but when I saw him in that movie, I wanted to whoop his ass too. That's kind of what Chael was doing. Um, I think Strickland is just who he is, and he had an interview where he says, "Before when I first got here, I wasn't good enough to open my mouth and be myself. Now that I put a bunch of wins together." I can say whatever I want, and he's playing up his character. It's, it's, but I think it's who he is, and I think whether you like it or not, there's a segment of mixed martial arts fans, both positive fans and negatives, who buy into that. Because everybody, the fans, the keyboard warriors, as you call them, everybody wants to be a tough guy. So everybody likes to say, you know, train hard, all out. There's a segment of people who think you should train hard, all out. They see Sean Strickland, that's their example. Look at him. He spars hard all the time. So see, you can do it. You're just too much of a punk. You're a pussy. You can't do it. He can do it. That, that's what they're doing. They can live through him. And there's a certain segment of people from a financial background or who have certain histories or certain issues with their family who now they see a guy who isn't polished and in a suit and maybe super handsome with a nice hairstyle. He's just kind of a regular guy. I mean, no offense. I, I've probably grown up around a couple guys like Sean Strickland, to be quite honest. Um, it's a guy, he's relatable in a kind of everyman sort of way to a, to a certain segment, not to your segment or my segment, but I've been around people like him. I know people who would just love to see a fighter like him win a title or get pushed because that, that, that rings home, that, that rings true to them. So while I don't agree with what he says, I don't necessarily agree with how he trains. It obviously works because he's on a winning streak. And if he's just being himself, whether I like it or not, whether it's appropriate or not, He's being his God's honest, truthful self. I don't know that he's racist or sexist or misogynist. He might be. I don't know at his core that he is. 
some of the stuff he says comes off that way. But if he's this is who he is, I either have to accept it or not, or just ignore it. I don't have to support it, but if he's been who he is, I can't fault somebody for being who they are, especially the way he is, which in the culture, the way we have it now is is like walking a tightrope back. You know, it's real quick to, he, he says one wrong thing, he could really just be wiped off as far as a viable option for the UFC. Uh, as far as the fight goes, I think it's just going to come down to whether Hermanson is able to navigate his pressure. I don't think Strickland's a very technical fighter. I don't think he's very hard to hit, per se. I don't think he's very layered or nuanced. But what I do think he is, is he's very solid. He hits hard. He's very deliberate. And he's very, he has a presence and a physicality to him. He basically just walks in on you. He's like if Matt Brown, if Matt Brown actually took his time instead of just coming in and trying to bomb you out. He stays on you, sets his jab up, kicks your legs, throws these kind of loopy shots, and he just puts you in a position where you either have to concede or you have to punch at him to keep him off. He makes you feel like you have to strike because he's constantly on you. And mentally it's very taxing and physically it's very taxing because most mixed martial arts fighters do not work on pivoting out, angling away. They just back up. So now you're being forced to do something you're not good at and you're forced to do it at a rate that you're not comfortable with. It's going to wear you down the mental pressure from that. And he just stays on you, jabbing and leg kick and body shot and that loopy right hand over the top. He didn't throw big bursts of offense. He just steadily kind of chops you down like a tree and stays on you. So you're either going to concede ground and let him win on aggression and shots landed, or you're going to have to you're going to have to fire back. And you can hurt it strictly. He's not super fast. I don't even know that he's super tough, but he's not afraid. So if you hit him and make him take a step back, he's going to quickly reassert himself and get right back on you. And a lot of mixed martial artists, they they overestimate their power and their coaches lie to them and tell them they have power they don't. If you can just land these couple shots, it's night-night. That, that's not true for 87% of y'all. It's nothing. It might take make him take a step back, but it's not going to finish him. And most of these guys, when they hit him, he gets right back on him. And so then they start getting real defensive, and he just gets you up against the cage, elbow, knee, he takes you down, pounds you out. He just suffocates you. That's all he does. He probably is suffocating pressure. And in the case of Hermanson, I don't know how he handles that. It's not high rate. It's not super athletic. So Hermanson should have shots to counter and even get some leads. And if Hermanson could back Strickland up, Strickland's no good off the back foot. Strickland's no good as the nail. But I don't know that Hermanson is athletic enough. I don't think he's aggressive enough as a striker, and I don't think he's dynamic enough athletically to consistently push Strickland back. You can push Strickland back, you'll win. Or you can keep him from getting started because he's like a chainsaw. Until he gets started, he ain't dangerous at all. But once he gets started, it's very hard to get him off you. And if Uriah, Uriah Hall is having a hard time scaring him off with his big spot offense, I don't know that Hermanson can. I think Hermanson can submit him in a scramble, can take him down and submit him, maybe ground and pound him. But Strickland's a guy who will not accept bad positions. And he will not accept he will not accept being intimidated or bullied with your power or your kicks or your counters. The biggest thing about him is I think I had a friend once and he told me like when people get in fights, people only think about punching the guy in the face. They never think about getting punched in the face. They never think about getting somebody on top of them, beating the hell out of them, and that's why people lose. Because you only think of the positives. So the minute anything goes wrong outside of your 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 characterization of how it goes. You lose, you break. Strickland is okay with getting knocked out. Strickland is okay with getting the hell beat out of him. He's even okay with being made to look like a fool. When you have a guy like that, the pressure they exude on you and the will they have to win is just is immense. And they'll take advantage of any opportunity because they're okay with the consequences of it. If he gets choked out, he can handle that. If he gets knocked out, he can handle it. It's not going to ruin his confidence. It's not going to ruin who he is. He's just going to realize he made a mistake and make an adjustment based off that. So I don't know what Hermanson's going to do if Strickland doesn't respect his grappling and acts fearful of it. If Strickland is just going to walk him down and fire off his shots, I don't have faith in Hermanson and getting clean takedown, con- controlling position, or even holding his own on the feet to win. He'll always have moments because, like I said, Strickland's not a big hitter. Strickland's not super dynamic. But what I've seen, he's not a particularly dynamic or skillful grappler. So there's a clear avenue for Hermanson to win. I just don't know if Hermanson has the character or the athleticism to execute that. 
against somebody unless they get tired or they make a big mistake. And Strickland is very deliberate with his pressure. I don't know that those mistakes have to force him into a mistake. And Hermanson's not a guy who likes to take chances. He, he's kind of a safety first guy. I can see I can see your your points there. I do think um, Hermanson does have a couple of passes to victory. I think his submission game is a little bit more dynamic than you give it credit for because he can attack from a lot of different positions, which is also important. Now. But and what's interesting to see is is how well he'll attack under pressure, as you mentioned. Looking at his um, his resume, I mean, guys, there's guys he's fought that have applied pressure in different ways, like Kelvin Gastelum. That's a different type of pressure. It was a, especially at that point in time in his run. The same with Jacare as well, too. It was a different type of, of, of pressure there. But then when you look at someone when he fought, like someone like a Marvin Vittori, someone who was able to control him throughout the fight, that that tells you something different. Um, Strickland isn't the same type of uh, wrestler that um, Marvin is. He's not anywhere near uh, the type of wrestler that Marvin is in that space. But I do think there are some pathways to Hermanson to win. I'm actually picking him to win in this fight here. Um, what, who do you think, let's, let's first touch on that. I want to hear who you think wins. Um, let's touch on that first. And then let's talk about what's next for both of these men, depending on who picks up a victory. I want to say Hermanson too, but I just, I feel like Strickland's on a run and I feel like there's just a price there's like a cover charge he puts to get into certain spots in him. And I don't know that Hermanson's willing to. When Hermanson fought Shabazian, a lot of his success was based off Shabazian getting tired. He stayed on him and he got some clinches and Shabazian worn out. And I'm not saying Strickland can't wear out, but Strickland to me is in better shape. And he's willing, he's not, he doesn't take as many chances as Shabazian because he's not as good an athlete. He has to be more steady in what he does. And when um, Hermanson's had other fights against guys who, who weren't as fearful of what he could do on the ground and were willing to kind of really press him and, and put their physicality on him, he hasn't always responded. Now, once again, it's kind of like the Juliana Pena thing. Strickland is going to be in the line of fire. You can land a counter on him. As long as you're not afraid, you'll, you'll hit him. He's not hard to hit. He might not even really be hard to take down. But the thing is, you know if you miss this takedown or he gets in an advantageous position, he's not getting off you. He is literally going to beat you within an inch of your life. And a lot of guys, even though they say they're warriors and it's life or death, they don't fight like it's life or death in there. And he makes it seem like it's a life or death situation. And I think he's willing to accept being killed. And the guy who's willing to accept being killed as well as killed is always more dangerous to me. So while I think Hermanson probably has the broader skill set, especially the better grappler, I'm not sure what he does under real pressure. I haven't seen him do great under real pressure. I haven't seen him do great when he's been bullied or, or somebody's been eating his lunch. And... I really think Strickland's going to do that. Then again, Hermanson might just take him down and choke him out real quick too. But I, I'm going to go with Strickland on this one. And if Strickland wins, he won't be far from a title fight. He He's polarizing. I don't know that he's popular, but he's polarizing. And he comes to fight and he talks a lot of stuff and he challenges people. And the media likes his kind of quirky, odd sort of ways. Some of the stuff he says, if somebody else said it, it'd be considered disrespectful. And he's attacking and bullying the reporters because Strickland says it with a laugh and I guess some kind of charm, then it's just, it's all, it's all funny. And it's just his unique way of handling things. When if somebody else, if a regular person you work with said the things he said, you'd think he's a sociopath because he's a fighter and he has a, a bit of comedic timing and he's self-deprecating. People find it charming and an interesting insight into the psyche of the American male. So what's interesting here is that they sit at six and seven right now. Hermanson's at six, Strickland's at seven. When you look at the rest of the division above them, um, Adesanya is fighting Robert Whitaker this month. He just he already beat Marvin Vittori. Jared Kennanier recently lost. Um, Derek Brunson is in the title picture as well too. Didn't Derek Brunson just lose him again? I thought Brunson was on a win streak. Yeah, that's right. Um, but Brunson's back in the title picture again. And then there's Paulo Costa who has been um, knocked out of, of the title picture very vehemently. So I do, I could see one of these two guys um, vying for a title shot if they were to win here and win big later on this year. Um, like I said, I'm leaning Hermanson to pick up the the win here, but Strickland is definitely more of a, of a um, name that pulls in clicks when you're, when you're creating content about him. Um, yeah, we, I mean, him, him and Israel Asano would be interesting trash talk. 
Kevin Whitaker would be an interesting, exciting fight with Hermanson. You know, while he could beat the other guy because of his grappling, it just is not interesting. It doesn't evoke any any fire from fans or evoke any fire from the 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 higher ups in the UFC. They want interesting matchups that force people to have an interest in the fighter, interest in the character. Hermanson is not very charismatic, not very exciting, not very interesting. I mean, he is as a person, but as a fighter, he draw any eyes. Strong Strickland draws eyes, and he's a guy who's coming to fight, and he's going to give you the kind of fight that you can sell. Hermanson, not so much. Good stuff there, sir. Um, what else on this card? Does anything else here stand out to you? Uh, I mean, not really. There's some there's some fights that should be good, but there's nothing that that I sat there and I'd be like, well, I need to really look at this fight. I mean, they got some prospects in there and some people with potential, but a lot of these fights to me seem like they set up fights, but fights where there's clearly someone is clearly supposed to win the fight over this other person. And I'm I know that has to happen in mixed martial arts, but I like fights that are a little bit more 50-50, and a lot of these fights might seem that way. But it, it's quite clear that, that the UFC is leaning towards somebody else winning winning this fight, and I don't I don't like that as well. That's too many of those. True there, true sir. I can I can see that. Um, let's. I want to do the Black History Month feature. Oh wait, one more one more thing. Sorry, before we go into that, I have to make this brief announcement. Um, this Saturday we are going to have a boxing card. Um, it's overpriced. You're gonna get cheated out of this tremendously, but uh, I don't care if the fights are great. This this is not a $80 card, but Mario Barrios coming off a knockout loss to Javante Davis is fighting Keith Thurman, one-time Thurman, who's coming off a decision loss two years ago to Manny Pacquiao. Barrios moving up to 147. This is Keith, who was formerly a unified champion at 47 in his first fight in two years, coming back to reclaim his throne. Um, I think it's a good fight. Thurman's not the biggest puncher, but he's always been a smart, tricky, and, and clever boxer who can punch who can punch them. And at one point, he was the guy in the welterweight division. Um, we don't know how sharp he is. We don't know how durable he is. We don't know how much fire he has. It's one thing to talk about it in interviews and in the buildup. It's another thing to have it against a young, hungry fighter. And um, he's facing Barrios, who's a limited fighter, but a big, long kid who's disciplined, deliberate, and tough. So... It's a matter of does Keith Thurman have that fire and is he still who he used to be? I don't think he's a lead anymore. I don't think he's one of the best fighters. Skill-wise, yeah. Experience-wise, yeah. I don't know where his durability is at. I'm not sure where his speed's at. And I think this is a dangerous fight. And I, I really feel that Barrios has a very good chance of upsetting him. He's been more active. He's younger. He should be fairly durable. And even though Keith has a boxing advantage and probably has a speed advantage, Barrios just got done fighting Gervonta Davis, who at this point is probably a comparable boxer and a much better athlete than Thurman. And Thurman has had a recent history of starting kind of slow. He likes to feel things out. And against a young guy who's not going to be dissuaded, who's already been on the big stage and not going to be overwhelmed by the moment, a slow start might be all it takes for him to win this fight. If Barrios wins this fight, he's in the sweepstakes. Spence, rematch with Thurman, Crawford, the whole... The whole table opens up for him. If Thurman wins, um, it's a lot of money talk. I need to be respected. I need to be the A side. We don't we don't really know where that goes. So for the sport of boxing, the best thing to happen would be Barrios winning because it introduces a whole new challenger who's willing to take on the toughest fights available. And if Thurman wins, well, it's back to business as usual. Politics. I need to get paid this. I need to get paid that. Hell, he might not fight for another two years, depending on what the offers are out there. But it is an important fight, but it's not a fight worth $80. And as a person who loves boxing, and I'm a fan of Barrios, and I'm a fan of Thurman, neither one of them should feel comfortable with people having to pay $80 to see them fight at this stage. Listen, man, we're in a pandemic, and money is tight, man. We can't be out here spending money on just on just anything. So I don't I don't blame you one bit. This, this is why the women's fight, I keep saying, y'all want to make a point? It better sell outsell Thurman and Barrios. You can't have two best women boxers of all time and have them undersell a guy who hasn't fought for two years and class for the first time in his career. If that is, then we might as well just throw the whole sport out because you've clearly stated that women have a low cap 
as far as their interest and as far as what they should be paid because you're letting this kind of card outdo them. Sorry. It, it, there's a lot of pressure on fans of women's boxing, a lot of pressure on y'all. Because if Keith Thur- if Thurman versus Barrios outsells y'all, I, I don't want to hear any more arguments. I'll still be a fan, but don't you ever tell me an argument about well, they should get paid more when you let this kind of card outsell the card with two of the best boxers of all time and have multiple defending and multiple world champions up and down this card on the stack women's card. They can't outsell this. We got they got a whole nother problem. Whole nother problem. I understand your point there, sir. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about, uh, like I said, I wanted to highlight a um, black athlete. And I'm going to start with um, Kenny Monday. Uh, it's interesting because his name popped up today on Twitter as well. Kenny Monday was the first black man, um, first African-American man to win a gold medal in wrestling and freestyle wrestling. He did so in 1988 when I was four years old. But um, I specifically remember that because as I got into wrestling as a, you know, preteen or whatever that may be, like 11, 12 years old, um, I remember being told a lot by Kenny Monday because my two of my three wrestling coaches were black men. So like a lot of them really talked to me about Kenny Monday and all the guys that were coming around by then. He was a three time Olympian from um, Oklahoma, obviously home of one of the homes of wrestling in United States, but he um, won the Olympic gold medal in 1988. He won worlds in 1989 and then he won Pan Ams um, twice in 1991. He also did MMA as well. He only fought one time in 1990, yeah, 97. He won via TKO over John Lewis. Um, not sure if that name kind of stands out. And he also had a submission grappling match losing to Matt Hume by toehold back in 1997 but he's definitely someone he's he's still involved in mma he coaches over at the, at the um where does he coach now he coaches at the black zillions in florida both of his sons are collegiate wrestlers now one at um, princeton and other at university of north carolina so they're continuing the family family legacy i think kennedy is the better one of the two he's the one that's at uh unc but yeah um Kimon is a name that's familiar across all wrestlers but he specifically holds a uh, holds a place in my heart because um what he means to wrestlers who look like me and just grapplers in uh period there aren't a lot of us there it seems like there are there's even fewer black women in in, in the space but um he's someone that deserves praise for what he did in mma or just in combat sports in general yeah, I, until I mean, I didn't know a lot about wrestling. I'm still not a wrestling expert, but when I got into mixed martial arts, then you start, you know, realize there's this whole other sport, which honestly, I tell people like wrestling is one of the seven circles of hell. I don't know why anybody subject themselves to that willingly. <laughs> people say getting punched in the face is bad. I've been to wrestling practice before. Nah, I'll just, I'd rather just get punched in the face. Uh, world champions, sure, I'll go a couple rounds with them. Wrestling practice, nah, it's all right. Pull my hamstrings, coach. Gotta sit down. But, um, yeah, Kenny, Kenny Monday, I do remember him, and I, I think that's actually pretty cool. I think that's actually something unique that um, – because a lot of people, wrestling has never really been the sport that boxing at one point was or basketball is or football is. So there's a lot of people who just don't know the impact Kenny Monday had in his own sport, much less his sport of mixed martial arts. So I think that's an excellent pick. And, um, you know, it's, I don't know that wrestling is particularly popular in the black, black uh, community. I know, I know it's more popular than it used to be, but I don't know that it's ever going to be one of the top three sports um, as far as, you know, the sports that get the most run. But, um, you know, I, I think it's really cool that you mentioned them, and I, I think it's pretty cool that you're in this, this group that really in our community is considered, like, I don't want to say elite, but just uh, unique, just because most people have never had that sort of experience, you know, so... That, that's very interesting, and I, and I appreciate you sharing that and having a personal touch to it. Yeah, man. So um, next week, you know, you can bring someone to the table. Let me know who you want, and we'll throw them in at, at, at the end of the show. Yeah, no problem. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out on tonight's episode of the MMA Ratings Podcast. It's episode 230, as I said, and you can always find us across all of our platforms, MMA Ratings, in um, Instagram and Twitter, 
Um, search for us on all the podcast platforms and YouTube at MMA Ratings as well, or go over to MMARatingsNet.com. Myself at Garcia underscore sports, Shawan Humes at Black Jordan Green. As always, we thank you for taking the time to check out the show. We'll be back next week for episode 231. Um, everyone have a long, safe weekend, and we'll be back here. Have a good night, everyone. Have a good evening. <laughs>